Welcome to Our Coal Conversations. I'm Jay Howard, an instructor in the Department of Communication at Missouri State University, and today I'm speaking with Dr. Deborah Larson, who is an associate professor in the Department of Media, Journalism, and Film. We talk about Show Me Chefs, the award-winning reality cooking competition. There's also a new project we talk about called Co-op, which is a reality television show built around the concept of an escape room. We also talk about the process of producing shows like these. There's pre-production, production, and post-production, and there's so much to do in each of those steps, from writing to casting, acting, filming, editing. For the students working on these projects, these various processes can span multiple semesters, so lots of coordination is needed. Dr. Larson teaches a variety of classes in which students have the opportunity to work on these and other projects. Those classes include Media 597 and 697, Advanced Studies in Media, and Media 766, a pre-production practicum for stage and screen. And in the conversation you're about to hear, she makes a compelling case, I think, for why we really should watch all of the credits at the end of the film. So I'm here today with Dr. Deborah Larson, who is an associate professor in the Media, Journalism, and Film Department. She holds a PhD in communication from the University of Missouri with an emphasis in media. She teaches television production, advanced television production, mass media and society, media analysis and criticism, and women in film courses at MSU. Dr. Larson, thanks so much for joining us today. I'm so glad to be here with you today, Jay. It's great. We were always shooting um, Show Me Chefs over spring break. So what happened, of course, like many people who were in production in March, Mm. um, you know, we got cut off right in the middle of our biggest Mm. season, five, which was going to be my last season of Show Me Chefs. Five seasons is a good run. But we had 10 chefs and we were doing team challenges. And then we were going to go like the two teams that, you know, came out on top. We're going to go into competition and it was a major, major thing. And then, of course, COVID hit. We got shut down. Um, it was very, very sad. And all the students were really upset. <laughs> and I was too. But I also looked at it as, you know, for me personally, when I haven't really had a life for like <laughs> five years, because of the schedule of the production and the post-production and the pre-production and the gala, which was just nuts. Uh, it, that's like a whole other function and event, you know, on the side. Like I went to one of those. It had like the most just delicious spread I have ever had. <laughs> totally fun, right? But completely stressful for me, you know. Event planning is huge, yeah. Yeah, so just having this huge fundraiser like oh, as a side gig on top of this freaking show that had a life of its own. So when we got shut down for COVID, I mean, I basically went. Gonna breathe. And anyway, I just you know, for me, it was probably a godsend. I mean, my dad just turned 90 yesterday and um, he's here. And so, I mean, he doesn't live with me. Thank God he's still able to live on his own. And mm-hmm. it's just a lot, you know? So anyway, and, and my partner has MS. And so it just was a lot on my plate. My mother passed away in the middle of all this. And so for me, it was just like, 
stop, collect, you know, kind of regroup, chill out. (laughs) And so when people were like, are you going to start up Show Me Chefs? I was like, no, no, it's over. I'm sorry, but it's done deal. And um, I don't want to do the fundraising. I mean, I don't want to do that. So what's happened is with COVID, like so many other things, people had to figure out how to do production in the middle of this crazy pandemic, right? And the students were, our students were just craving and dying for something to happen because you can't do production on your own. It's a group collaboration. And so last fall, when we all came sort of back to campus, you know, and then we had the big breakout like a week after mm-hmm. school started. Uh, I was like, okay, we're not meeting. So we met for like a week and then we were like, no. So we went to Zoom. Well, it is really difficult to develop and pre-produce a show over Zoom, but we did. And, and the reason that we were able to do that is because I did have mainly graduate students in that class. So it was mainly a 697 class. A lot of the new MFAs who hadn't really even had television production with me before um, were in that class. People like Rachel Bartell and Concy Nelson and Ashton Wilson was in there and Paul and Mike. And so anyway, we had like six graduate students and then there was like three or four undergraduates. So there was like nine or 10 people. And one of them came up with this, you know, I had a pitch shows that we could actually produce under a COVID situation. And um, one of the undergrads actually came up with this idea of doing an escape room thing. Uh, We decided that we would shoot two teams, but shoot them separately and actually put each person in a different room where they had to communicate back and forth in order to escape. So that's what co-op is. So they're in different rooms, but they're working together. Right. Okay to solve the puzzle. And we had a lot of, you know, I mean, we learned a lot from this first season, I bet. like what to do and what not to do. Some of us had never done escape rooms. Other people had done them and loved them. But we, you know, I mean, it's an escape room because it's, there's only three walls so we could actually <laughs> shoot it, <laughs> you know? So there is that, but you know, it does feel enclosed and we did it by themes and so we're in post-production now because we did shoot it over spring. And we were, you know, trying to be in the studio, but we could only have 10 people in there at once. We had to like stay six feet apart, but, um, but we were all masked. And, you know, as soon as February started rolling around, people started getting their shots. So for various and sundry reasons, like, I don't know if people were on call list for the end of the day, you know, or whatever, but I was able to get my shot in February. And then, you know, throughout March, people were able to start getting their vaccinations. And so, you know, by the end of, by early April, actually, most of the crew had been vaccinated and we were still wearing masks and still doing well. And so we never had, and we were testing, uh, we had the mm. quick swabs. And so we were doing all of that, um, but it was really difficult. Like it's hard to build a set when you can't be next to somebody, yeah. you know, so, or dress a set or troubleshoot electronic problems or whatever it is. But anyway, so we produced this show and it was a lot of fun. And we had eight teams. So we have four episodes and eight teams. So it's pilot season. And then next year with the 597, 697, we'll be releasing the first season. I mean, in this fall, 
and um, doing some promotion and then, you know, starting again for season two. And I do have a couple of return producers, which is great. Um, Consi Nelson directed it, directed the season. So she is actually using her TA ship this summer to cover post-production. So I didn't have to do it, which is great. So she was kind of in charge of the crew anyway. And so she's doing the deal, but they're coming along. And um, Ashton Wilson, I don't know if you know Ashton, but he, he's been my TA. He taught Media 365. He just got accepted into the MFA production, film production program at Florida State. So he is oh. leaving us, but I was able to, I mean, we had a little bit of money left over. And so I was able to secure some funds for him to sort of be the head um, editor and be kind of the troubleshoot supervisor person because he helped us in the last season four of Show Me Chefs, which was a hugely award-winning. And yeah. really he had the whole multi-camera editing thing figured out. So I was able to sort of retain him this summer hmm. while he needed a couple thousand bucks before he moves, you know, um, so that worked out pretty well too. So you shot the first season of co-op under, you know, COVID restrictions and that influenced the finished product to some degree. Do you envision any changes for season two? Um, did that force you to do anything, like create any creative workarounds that you ended up liking that you'll keep? You know what I mean? Well, I, yeah, we don't know. I mean, we've done some sort of post, post-mortem production uh, meetings on it. You know, there's things we liked about it and things we didn't like about it. I mean, normally, you know, when you think about um, an escape room, you think about people being in one room trying to get out, right? Multiple people. It could be two people. It could be five or whatever. So really, we thought it would be more fun if we had the teams competing against each other, right? Mm -hmm. One team in this room, one team in this room. So we may go that direction. To make it like a time challenge? Yes. That was the other thing, though. We put a time limit on them and counted them down from 30 minutes. So they only had 30 minutes to do it. But I think what we found for editing purposes was that we should just let them go and then count up, mm. basically. Because we can do lots of stuff in post-production that makes it look like we counted down. But we screwed that up. Because, you know, they would run out of time and then we'd be like, oh, crap, they're not even done. So we kind of let them go. And then, you know, some team would take almost an hour and we were like, God, you know, so we have to figure out what to do with that in editing. You know, one team would get stuck on one thing and they just couldn't do it. And another team would just zip right through that. And so our editors are going to have some real issues <laughs> because the teams were separate. And yeah, so... We're, we've got some real challenges to sort of figure out how we want to do season two. But thankfully, I do have Ponzi coming back and I do have Rachel coming back. She was our main producer. And so she's been thinking a lot about how do we make this better? How do we flow? Some of them had more physical tasks than others. I was always pissed because I was like, you guys, you have to give them a logic thing. You have to give them a brain teaser. You have to give them something where they have to call mm. their friend, right? Because we had a Zoom a friend and we had... Um, some lifelines, which is cool, right? But some of the teams would use their lifelines on the weirdest things. And then when they actually needed mm -hmm. them, they didn't have them. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot of weird stuff that happened, but it was amusing to us, but we don't know <laughs> if it's going to translate. <laughs> well, but yes, we will definitely be doing some revamps for season two. I've only done a escape room one time and I, it was hard for me because I just kept being puzzled. Like, 
wait a minute, why are there numbers on the bottom of these golf clubs though? Like, what what does that mean? Why would, why would that ever be in real life? I know, right? So, and that's it. So somebody would get like fixated on something that was really mm -hmm. like set dress mm -hmm. and somebody else would be like, you don't need that, come on. You know, they'd be like, I'm sure this is like a thing, you know, or they would know that there was just something here and they would just spend tons of times like looking at the walls because we had some invisible ink stuff you know, and they were, you know, and so they would be like wasting time. And, and then sometimes we had puzzles that like this person was doing really active things. And this person was kind of standing there going, what am I supposed to be doing? Which was true because we couldn't get it figured out. Right. You know, so um, that's why I think like if they're both in the same room, at least they're trying to work together and they're not, somebody's not standing over here watching them through the window going, what are you doing? And then we always had like sort of escape things. Like there was a clue in there that if they actually found the clue, it would take them directly to the end. But they never found those. Interesting. So oh, sounds sounds like a, um, a jam packed pilot season. Yeah, it is, and we learned a lot. So that think that's what's most important, and and that's true of any time you do like a beginning show. Our first season of Show Me Chefs was a huge mm -hmm. learning experience, and we learned mm -hmm. a lot of things about what not to do and what we actually needed to make it better. So a diary room. Hello. So we actually had a diary room, but we didn't use it because I didn't have enough editors to actually get it done and get it incorporated. So what's a diary room? Well, you know, when people talk to the camera on reality television. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And go, well, I was thinking this, but, uh, you know, that's what happened. And you, you have to have them. Yeah. Because otherwise mm -hmm. nobody cares about the action. So it's the narrative arc mm. that drives the story. And that's why all reality television have stock characters of, you know, the villain and the, the bitch and the, you know, the dunce and the whatever. That's fascinating. I never. So it's pretty cool. I never heard the term diary room before, but uh, that, yeah, it's totally a mainstay in every, every single. Well, it is, you know, and then you also have to know how to ask them the right questions to get them to expand on what they were doing. And they have to answer it in a certain way that's like a complete sentence, because otherwise they're just answering the question and there's no context for what they're saying. Yeah. So, But the question is never in the show. Like it's no, always only no. just the contestants talking. Right. Interesting. And if they just answer the second half of the question, it doesn't even make any sense to the viewer. Uh -huh. So in other words, they have to say things like, well, I was thinking about, you know, so if the producer says, well, what were you thinking when you did this? Da, 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 da. I was, you know, I was digging around in the box for an hour because I just knew there was something in there. Well, what you really need to say, well, I was thinking that there was something else in that box and I had to get below the, you know, star foam things in the bottom, you know, whatever. Some context. In context, but incomplete sentences. Ah. They can't just give you the second half of the song. Mm -hmm. And that's a real learning experience for our producers too when they ask the questions. They have to make people go back and repeat the question back in a statement. I see. So yeah, it's tough. It's a learning thing people don't think about, so. Absolutely, yeah. It, it all seems effortless in the in the final, final cut, but we, we, the viewers never see all the work that, all the iterations we go through to get there. Yeah. that season one of Show Me Chefs was a learning experience and season five, unfortunately, never uh, saw the light of day. 
But season four, you really hit your stride and the show won all kinds of awards. Season three and four, we did great. Yeah, we won several regional Emmys and we did send for a national Emmy on season three and got nominated. Oh, wow. One of three across the U.S. Okay. Um, We did not win, although we should have. Of course, I'm going to say that, but... Of course. But, you know, when you're talking about a seven-camera production, like a series, like we had, and we actually lost to a guy who was doing single-camera, people counting to 10 and lost languages in Latin America. And so he went around the little villages and had people count to 10 and lost languages. Okay. Okay. So... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and then the other guy that got nominated, like we would have, we would have actually been okay if he had won, even though we thought we were better than his too. But he had, he was doing several seasons of like a bass fishing tournament out up in Michigan on lakes. Huh. He at least had water logistics and teams that they had to decide who they were going to follow and who was going to be doing what, where they were and checking in or checking back and doing that kind of stuff degree of difficulty he had a lot of logistics that we appreciated yeah and then he had to you know take all that footage and get it down to a 30-minute program which he got broadcast well therefore it when you get nominated as diana bosford told me it's on your merit Hmm. when you the win is always political and so that made sense to us because our students were scoffing at the fact that how could that how could that guy even win? It was like he was traveling around on his summer money, you know, having people count in lost languages to the camera, one camera. And I said, you guys, oh, count your chickens, I'm telling you. And sure enough, he won. And the students were just really upset about it, you know. And the guy who, we really liked that guy when we met him in LA. Uh And, you know. Wow that lessened the loss a bit and we really liked the fishing guy too up in Michigan so it just sort of happened that you know we felt like we got totally screwed because we had the most complicated thing and we thought the show was great yeah important thing is show me chefs was robbed and that's clear (laughs) that's what we thought we definitely thought that but you know we got nominated nationally one of three across the U.S. that's pretty great so with the, you know, the broadcasting, you're talking about the partnership with um, someone in the community. And for so many chefs specifically, there's probably all kinds of community partnerships. Absolutely. Just with the chefs, the restaurants, the some of the food producers. And so that's something I'd love to, to chat with you about a little bit, just because there's so, so many of the projects that take place in the College of Arts and Letters has so much community involvement. Um, what are some things, well, I guess, what was the process of, I don't know what the word is, recruiting uh, the involvement from the community just in terms of the restaurants and the, the food producers? Well, yeah, it was big, you know. Show Me Chess just was like a huge thing. And so the process really was- As part of pre-production, technically? Yeah, it was. You know, at that point in time, the, the farmer's markets and local food and um, that kind of thing was really starting to, kind of take off and so it wasn't hard to get our farmers on board yeah and our food producers and our meat producers and our specialty foods producers okay those people you know for a little bit of product they got exposure Mm -hmm. they got chefs using their products and they a lot of times got packages 
done <laughs> for them. So they would get, you know, a minute and a half package on who they are, what their product is and what they do to produce that, which is only good for them. So that was not a problem. And they were always very generous of their time and their products and whatever. Um, we did find that we had to be careful, though, about who our judges were, because some people were really good and some people not. <laughs> so our first season, we kind of got people that were like important to the show, but some of them weren't very good judges. Hmm. And so then we started realizing, okay, we have to have a chef. We have to have at least one chef. And then by second season, we realized we have to have our lead judge, which was Angelo. So he was the chef at, you know, 319 where we shot the show and the camera loved him and he was super nervous. And oh my God, my editors was like, this guy can't even talk because he would get nervous and tongue tied. And so they really had to work around him. I understand that. <laughs> we made him look really good though. And we love Angelo. Well, he, he was the lead, uh, lead judge on several seasons, right? Yeah, three seasons, actually. And so, you know, he got a little mini celebrity and that was nice. So between the chefs, the restaurants, the, the farmers, the event space and the judges. Yeah, it was kind of a, oh, and then we also had the TV personalities that were connected to the television. So Joy Robertson and Kelly and Jeremy. And Jeremy was actually going to host our show the fifth season. Oh, wow. We did have a different host every season, which was kind of crazy. And I was never super happy about that, but we felt like season four was probably the best with Nathan Shelton, who a lot of people knew because he was an actor around the area forever. And then Joey, who was one of our chefs from the previous season. And those guys were just like, not really like oil and water, but certainly very different guys. And um, that was fun. And students were involved mostly behind the camera and putting everything together, creating everything. Yeah, they were. Um, you know, I ran Show Me Chef just like under the theory of instructional scaffolding. You know, we had, we'd set up the show just like a regular television hierarchy system, really, which is we had, you know, camera and lights and food and, you know, diary room people and set and kitchen. And so we had all these different units. And then those units would have a supervisor or that supervisors then would report to producers and then they would report to their producers. And then, you know, I was up here. I worked most closely with the writers and producers and, um, you know, but it was kind of one of those things where I would have students come to me and say, well, I can't do X, Y, or Z. And I'd say, well, have you talked to your supervisor? No. Well, you know, figure it out. If you can't figure it out, then you guys get together as a unit and figure it out, you know? So don't just come telling me you can't find something like yeah. go find it. Go make it happen. Very cool. Yeah. So, so the hierarchy of it um, and also role modeling, because I really, I would not ask them to do something that I wouldn't do. Like I would wash dishes sometimes. I'd be like, hustle up. We got to get this done. You know, we got 20 minutes, get it done. And the chefs would make a huge mess and like camera people and whatever. Everybody would come in and like get this stuff done and get it dried and get it put back in place for the next round. It was crazy. Co-op was a lot less stressful. Well, Co-op was a lot less stressful? <laughs> yeah, well, we shot it during class Monday and Wednesday because we used our teams were mainly college students, actors who want to be on TV, you know, and chefs. Some of them had great personalities and some of them were like super focused, said nothing, don't bother me. I don't, you know, you'd ask them a question and they'd say yes. And then they turned their back to the camera. So it wasn't... <laughs> You know, 
they weren't actors and they didn't pretend to be. So, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> I'm never going to be able to watch a, a cooking show the same way again after this conversation. <laughs> I'm telling you, there's a lot to it. So I'd like to talk about the distinction between the television show and a web series. Uh, can you talk about what the distinction is uh, when you mention things like epilogue and, and other items? What does that term web series mean? Well, okay, so web series now, I mean, they have really morphed a lot since we did epilogue, mm. but epilogue was written as, you know, six episodes. Isn't it about like a, a pandemic? Yeah, it's about a pandemic. So that's kind of timely. Yeah. Um, and they have to, you know, time travel back in time to 1400s to hmm. find the plague that caused the pandemic or find the cure for the plague. So it's a time travel piece. Um, but it was written by teams of people. So it was a writing class four web series. And Diana had, I think she said she had 12 or 14 students in there. And mm -hmm. so, you know, they came up with the idea. They sort of outlined where they thought the total plot would go. And then they sort of divided up the episodes and they literally had 12 minutes for their episodes. And of course, when you're doing a web series, it's different than writing a one hour teleplay, which you have to have commercial breaks, sort of, you know, um, maybe not so much now with binge viewing, but hmm. historically speaking, you would have to, you know, get people to come back after the commercial, right? Well, in some ways, web series are like that because you can't just like stop in the middle of what you have to have the question mark at the end. Well, what's going to happen? So you have to write to that. Well, now they wrote that in 2011. So nowadays, you know, most web series are like four minutes, three minutes. There's some talent in writing it. You know, essentially, they're just like a short scene. Mm -hmm. And if there are several scenes, then you really have to hone your skills to be able to write a quick narrative that interests people and they'll stay for it and then they come back for the next one yeah so our attention spans have gotten so short i was just thinking that four minutes is an eternity in youtube time you know yeah right but if you can keep people there four or five minutes that's pretty amazing mm -hmm. right so watching a 12 minute series is really tough these days Okay, so the, the distinction between web series is not just the distribution channel, it's also the scale uh, of the project. Gotcha. So what's on the agenda for Media 766 coming up this fall? Okay, so this is writing for web series or stage. And so that is kind of crazy because I'm not a stage person. I never have been and I love it, but I know nothing about it. And I think when this class was created, Christina thought she was teaching and she would be great at teaching both of those because she does both of those things. But she's only one person and she can't teach all the classes. So anyway, they pegged me because it was web series. And I was like, yeah, I can do that. Well, then I said, well, okay, so what are they coming in with? And they said, well, they don't have anything written. And I go, oh, this is a pre-production class. It's not a writing class. So since it's the first time it's being taught, we're working out some logistics on how that's happened. Huh. So what's happening is that the people who are gonna take this class are supposed to have some projects in mind and we're gonna put them in teams and let them create a few projects. So in some ways it'll be more like 562 
which is digital filmmaking this semester, but it either has to be a web series or a stage production. And I said, well, if it's a stage thing, I don't know. I can, all I can do is give them deadlines. But they are graduate students. And I'm assuming if they're going to do a stage production, they will have some background in stage. Hmm. We will see. But for next round, we're going to start the process in the spring, we hope, of having the writing class for the web series. And then over the summer, they can hone those. And then in the fall, they'll be ready for pre-production. Gotcha. Get the locations, get your actors casted, get your equipment based, you know, like get your schedule, get everything we need to do in pre-production done so that, and you know, if they were ready to start shooting it, shoot. Um, and if they're not, then we'll shoot it in the spring. But, you know, in our department, it's always a balancing act between what's happening with digital filmmaking, what's happening with my class, what's happening with independent studies. And, and now we've got a whole graduate program that it's a writing program but there is production element to it. And so it's always like, where are the big projects? When are they being shot? So we have to schedule the whole production thing together with all my colleagues. So we absolutely know what's going out, how much equipment's going to be gone, you know, when's it coming back, et cetera, et cetera. So it's, wow. it's crazy. That sounds like quite a jigsaw puzzle because there's yeah, limited equipment, expensive equipment. Exactly. And of course, what's also happened with the MFA program is a lot of our production students are in that program. Now, this year, we have a lot more people from outside the program, which is good, like new blood. We want new people from across the U.S. to come into this program, and they understand it's a writing program. A lot of our students come from production, so they want to continue to actually produce. Like I said, they do have some producing hours available to them to create their own thing, mm -hmm. but inherently it is not a production program it is a writing program so they don't actually have access to the ex super expensive equipment mm -hmm. that our seniors do and some of them aren't very happy about that because they're like what do you mean you know, i'm getting a crappy camera mm -hmm. like well you know our seniors have priority over those and the ea students have priority over those cameras you guys aren't slated to use those cameras so anyway we're trying to get them some good basic cameras that they could shoot with. I see. But, you know, we're working it. It's all a, it's all in process and in progress. Anyway, I'm looking forward to that. And if we can get it back on the sort of 12 months or, you know, 18 month schedule, that would be better than trying to produce, write and produce something in 16 weeks. That's the other part of the jigsaw puzzle is everything is so, so multi-part and those, each part takes a long time. Yeah. And, um, so semester by semester, there has to be some continuity in order to get something done from beginning to end. And again, viewers may not have an appreciation for all of the, uh, all the work that goes in, into something like that, but that's, that's what you teach. Well, and I will tell you, like, in speaking, you know, to just sort of tie this back to Media 120 one more time, when we talk about binge viewing and the fact that we all have such voracious appetites for Netflix and Amazon and um, Hulu and all these new series, which, you know, we're in the golden age of television again. Um, number one, students don't even realize it's television series, you know, mm -hmm. it's like, no, it's television. Um, it's series, right? We can all like binge view anything within a day or two, like a whole season. But I want students to understand that sometimes when they complain about the fact that, oh my God, they're releasing it once a week. Oh God, I just got to wait till it's all released, you know? Yes, but we want you to appreciate that it takes sometimes two years to get this 
done. And you guys have gobbled it up in 24 hours. <laughs> it's really, I mean, it's very expensive. The quality has to be there. Think about how much money and writing and time and acting and post-production, all of this is taking. And then I give them the example about how long it takes us to do one season of Show Me Chefs or one season of co-op. Absolutely. And they begin to understand that it's not just like, you know, that's it. Yeah, it's not easy. Not as easy as it looks. No. Hmm. So I go, you know, when you, and I said, when you watch those credits at the end of the film, and you should, um, look at all of those names. Everybody has a job that's important to the final product. And if they're not there, it's not getting done. And those people have to be paid. And those people have X amount of time to do whatever it is they do to contribute. And, you know, it's just a big deal. So I like the fact that films nowadays are saying this film contributed 151,000 jobs to the community. You know, that is a good thing. Yeah. Understand that the entertainment that we consume like it's a sandwich is very expensive and very long to create. Well, that's that's a great point. I, I mean, we do do well to consider how much work that goes into making sandwiches, also. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> really good ones, right? Now that so. I think about it, yeah, all those ingredients came from all 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 across the world to get into my you know ketchup or whatever it is. Exactly, exactly. So anyway, so I mean, you know. We don't really think about it, but I want students to think about that. That concludes this episode of Our Coal Conversations. As always, please subscribe to Our Coal Conversations wherever you get your podcasts and share the show on social media. You can also follow the college on Facebook at msu.rcoal and on Twitter at msu underscore Thanks for listening.